Tis the season. Truly it is. It's Christmas. It'll happen this week. This Friday night is Christmas Eve, Saturday, Christmas. And you know, with Christmas comes all the different traditions that, hold on one moment. <coughs> Sorry about that. Allergies are uh, kicking in this time of year. Uh, what I find fascinating is that with Christmas comes all these different traditions, all these different ideas. For example, how do you decorate your house? What kind of lights do you use? Do you do the whole house? Do you do the music and everything, or is it minimal? Same thing with the tree. Some people get fake trees. Other people get real trees. How you decorate the tree. And in fact, these traditions almost lead into expectations. When a young man and a young, uh, a young man or a young woman has a, a partner in their life and they decide to create a, a new home, what's amazing is, is what that ends up creating is a conflict of traditions. And each person brings with them the expectation that their traditions will be part of it. But what really works is when these two people can come together and by coming together actually create new traditions. But that's harder, especially when it comes to when do you open the Christmas presents. So Janelle is here with me this morning. Janelle, tell me, did you go through that adjustment period when you and your partner came together? As yes. far as your traditions, his or her traditions? A little. <clears throat> a little. Ours was more about uh, just juggling all family units. Who gets Christmas? Who gets Christmas Eve? Who gets New Year's? Like, we have a lot of units that we have to... So you didn't have any juggle. discussion, argument about... Not traditions. About the Christmas tree? <clears throat> no. So do you go fake or real? Both. Both? <laughs> You have a fake tree and a real tree? We fluctuate. This year it's ah. fake. Last year it was real. So it depends. But who gets to choose? It comes down to timing. Ah. <laughs> you know, last year we were ahead of the game, and so we could go to the tree farm, and this year not so much. We Like not... we just put it up two days ago. Wow. <laughs> when I got married... I was used to growing up with the big Christmas bulbs. Oh, yeah. And my wife was used to the little tiny ones. Oh, yeah, that would be an argument. Yeah, we have little tiny ones on our tree. Who <laughs> won? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> but it's just, it's weird that we each, when it comes to Christmas, we have all these different traditions that we right. grow up with as children, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, what do you do? Are you... And you bring this expectation that that's the way it's going to be and the mm -hmm. way it's going to continue. Right. So, for example, do you eat breakfast before? Well, first of all, do you open Christmas presents the night oh. of? The night before Christmas or Christmas Eve? Or do you open Christmas morning? Christmas morning. So yeah. there, there's another one that comes. So do you eat breakfast before? No. Or after? After. Well... It was probably after the kids came along that it became a, a first and foremost, <laughs> and then you eat. And I think, again, there's just examples of where we find that there is this wide variety 
mm -hmm. of ways in which we experience Christmas and the expectations that come with that. And some people do not want to let go of that tradition. Exactly. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is the different expectations that impact and affect us as we experience Christmas and how those expectations can roll over into the expectations that we have for ourselves and living up to the expectations of other people. So with that, if anyone wants to uh, engage us during the monologue and dialogue, how might they do that? Well, it's simple. You're just gonna go to, <clears throat> you can text us. That's the fastest way, I would say. And how did they do that? <clears throat> they want to text it to 480-389-4974. That's 480-389-4974. And I'm watching the text as they roll in. All right. Or they can go to our chat box in Facebook and also in YouTube if they're watching on either of those platforms. And if you're watching this at not live at a later time, mm -hmm. and if they want to give us some feedback, which we do appreciate and we do read. Yes, we do. How do they do that? That, I would uh, encourage you to go send an email to me at media at beatitudeschurch.org. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back with our monologue. The expectations we have around Christmas are not limited to just what happens in our homes. They also roll, often will roll over into what occurs in our spiritual communities. Each spiritual community has their traditions. And with that, again, comes the expectations that those traditions will be maintained. It goes anywhere from how they decorate their spiritual space Sometimes they use Christmas trees, other places don't. Uh, depending upon what religion, depending upon what part of the United States, all of it can vary from, from individual spiritual community to another. The other one that takes place is when it comes to spiritual communities is when do you start singing Christmas songs? There are some individuals who see Christmas songs as not being sung or allowed to be sung until after Christmas. Other, and then there are songs before are just to kind of build you up to that. Other spiritual communities from December 1 on, everyone's singing Christmas carols. So it varies from spiritual community to spiritual community. And again, with each one comes expectations. And when those expectations are not met... Oh, someone's going to pay for that. The other one we find is Christmas Eve's. Christmas Eve services, I've been in a variety of different ch Christian churches as serving as their minister. And in each one, I find each one has different, but there are certain elements that stay the same. For example, Silent Night. Everyone, every church I've served ends the service with candlelight and Silent Night. The other one that sometimes happens, and more and more we're not seeing it quite as much, is Christmas pageants. And the expectation is that we will, by the end of that pageant, have all the wise men, the shepherds, the angels, Mary and Joseph, and the baby Jesus. 
But the one that I find fascinating is Mary. It doesn't matter what part of the United States the spiritual communities are in, especially Christian communities, you find that Mary pretty much looks the same and dresses the same. There's an expectation that she will be a certain type, and that's exactly what we're going for. But the reality is that when it comes to the life of Mary, what we see about her today, the beliefs that are prevalent around her today, don't necessarily align with the historical Mary. We actually see a conflict, but we are far more comfortable keeping our expectations of Mary solid. And so we find it difficult when those are challenged. But if we really take the time and look at it, we realize that Mary, she is more of a creation of a patriarchal church than she is a historical figure in the way that we see her today. For example, the first person to write in the New Testament is Paul. And here's what Paul tells us about Mary. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. That's it. Nowhere does Paul say Jesus' mother's name, Mary. And some people say that the reason he didn't was because that may not have been actually her name, because the name Mary in the Hebrew is Miriam, which sounds a lot like Jesus's sister. And so you almost get a comparison, perhaps, a symbolic comparison, some people say, by choosing that name. The other thing that Paul doesn't tell us, that Paul says nothing about a miraculous birth of Jesus. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, Paul makes it sound like Jesus was born just like any other baby boy. Listen to what it says in Romans 1 verse 3. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was, ready, born of the seed of David according to the flesh. Now again, the word seed is, in the Greek, it comes from the word spermatic. It's a word that we use today for sperm, a man's seed. And so the focus for Paul is definitely upon the male side of it. Why? Because Joseph, Joseph is the line in which David comes. So Paul doesn't even talk about a virgin birth, doesn't even hint at it. In fact, if he hints at anything, it's that Jesus was born just like any other baby boy. Well, you wait about another 10, 20 years, and you get the first gospel written. It's the gospel of Mark. And Mark, he doesn't say anything about Jesus' birth. And only twice does he talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus. And when he does, it's not in a really positive light. It's almost somewhat derogatory that he disagrees with Mary's behavior. And then move on another 10, 15 years, and by now we're looking at about anywhere from 60 to 70 years after Jesus has died. Matthew and Luke write. And when Matthew and Luke write, it's the first time that we get an image of a miraculous birth. But then John comes along at a later date, and he doesn't talk about a miraculous birth. Instead, he focuses on the pre-existence of Jesus, that Jesus had always existed. 
So again, when you look at the Gospels, we get a very complicated and not consistent view of Mary. But yet, Jesus' followers, early Christians, they solved that problem. Over a period of decades and in time centuries, they begin to develop ideas that they put upon Mary. One of them was a solidifying of the idea that Mary gave birth as a virgin. Uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and it's interesting. They said, it, in order to create a human being, you need the chromosomes from both the male and the female. And so the DNA that comes from Mary, well, the, you would assume that's there. But then what about the DNA that comes from God, the male figure? They asked a, a very entertaining question. They said, did, did God decide, like, well, what kind of nose do I want Jesus to have? And then make sure that the DNA would give him that kind of nose. So it raises all sorts of questions. But again, the early church, they didn't understand how birth and, and conception took place. Birth they did, conception they didn't. And so their ideas and this idea of a virgin birth ties in perfectly with their understanding of biology and anatomy. But not, they weren't happy with the idea of just her having a virgin birth. They went further on and believed in what is called perpetual virginity, that Mary was a virgin all of her life. She had no other children. She did not in any way have sex with Joseph. But that wasn't enough. Over a period of time, they had another idea, that Mary, after she gave birth to Jesus, was still a virgin. It's called postpartum virginity. The idea being that G Mary could have delivered Jesus, but yet she remained physically intact as a virgin. Perpetual virginity. So these were ideas that over time, the early church began to continue to add to Mary. And there was the expectations that you don't question them. They became reality. That's who Mary was. In the 1800s, a new idea came into play. It's called immaculate conception. And the idea being that tradition over a period of time, folklore steps in and says that Mary's parents, Anna and Joachim, came together and they kissed underneath the golden gate of the temple. And when they kissed, it was at that moment that Anna conceived. Why is that so important? Because Mary has to be born sinless without Magdula, what is considered to be original sin. The idea being that she had no sense of sin within her. Why? Because she had to carry Jesus, who was God. And again, this doesn't even occur until the 1800s. But it, there's this ideas of Mary keep being piled upon her. And we get this expectation that they will have to be there forever. The other one that comes along with that is in the 1900s, they believed in the bodily assumption of Mary. Because they couldn't find Mary's grave, they just assumed that when she died, like Moses, she was bodily taken to heaven. But that idea didn't become reality until the 1900s. 
So all of these ideas are placed upon Mary. And the expectation is that's who Mary is, and you don't mess with it. But the reality is history says very little about Mary. We know that she was Jewish. We know that she had a son who was born anywhere from 4 to 7 BCE, and that this son was put to death sometime in his 30s. Finally, we know that Mary was treated like any other woman. She wasn't treated special. That's all that we know from the documents that we can say historically about Mary. So who Mary was, and over time the expectations of what we wanted her to be, didn't agree. And the reality is, I think many of us feel the same. There's expectations put upon us on who we ought to be. And sometimes those expectations, just like Mary, of who she is and who we really are, conflict. And that creates a problem. But the reality, that idea of people putting expectations on us, they, it started at a very young age. We all struggle to certain degrees with living up to other people's expectations. And when we don't, yeah, watch out. For example, the, probably one of the first areas that it happens when it comes to expectations is with parents. Parents have certain expectations they place upon a child. How many times have you heard this expression, no child of mine, and then the continues on, and each parent fills in the blank. The child moves on and is no longer just limited to being at home with the parents and goes to school. And with school, there comes expectations. There are certain educational standards and goals that have to be lived up to. And if you don't live up to those, well, they'll keep you a grade or they'll move you on and then you'll be behind. But the idea being that even in schools, there's expectations that you have to perform in certain ways. Many schools don't even care a lot about what you think as long as you give us the right answer. Then when you're finally done with school, you move into the work field. And as you're in your new job, there comes expectations from your employers. There are certain things that you need to do or not do. And then over time, each of us find and we acquire our own expectations. It's how we look at other people and how they should behave. And so when we enter into relationships, we bring those expectations, expectations of what our partner ought to be like, what our children ought to be like, and the cycle continues, just like Mary. There's these expectations that are placed upon Mary and don't mess them up, and people continue to want to put expectations upon other people. And if you live up to those, it makes life a lot easier. But the reality is, it is impossible to please everyone. You're not going to meet everyone's expectations. And if you try, you will continue to fail and fail and fail. But the thing is, if our sense of self-worth is tied up into meeting other people's expectations, of making people happy, we're gonna have problems. Just like Mary. We'll have an idea of who she is, 
and probably perhaps never historically understand that she was just like us. And maybe that's the greatest Christmas present that we can give ourselves today. Perhaps the greatest Christmas present we can give ourselves is to accept that our life is our life and only our life. And that you are in the best position to know what is best for you. And because of that, you don't let the expectations of others get in the way of you being you. If you fly a lot, you may have a tendency to either put on your headphones, your noise-canceling headphones, and ignore the instructions they give you at the beginning of every flight. The one that I find fascinating is when they tell you that in the case of a drop in air pressure in the cabin, that an oxygen mask will fall. Well, I've heard some people say by that time it's probably not a good thing. But then they tell you that you better first put it on yourself and then help those around you. That's probably some of the greatest advice that we can give ourselves. Put your own mask on first. Find out who you are. Live your life. Other people's expectations, that's their stuff, not yours. And again, perhaps that's the greatest Christmas gift you can give yourself and in turn other people. Be real. And I think Mary was. Because Mary had a huge impact on the life of Jesus. It shaped and molded the message that he ended up sharing and the way that he treated other people. Mary did, we don't have to worry about adding any other expectations on Mary. All you have to do is look at her son and you can get a glimpse of who she might have been. And that's the same for us. Let's this Christmas be true to who we are, to discover who we are. It'll make our life better. It'll make our relationships better. And overall, our world better. We'll be right back.
Well, that certainly wasn't where I thought you were going to go today. So I didn't even know for sure where I was going. Oh, well. You know, every every single time I read a one of these sermons, it just I can't just you know repeat it, and right. so I end up having to massage it and make it a little bit of my own. And right, and, you interpret it. Right. So I, so a lot of times I don't even know for for sure what direction I'm going until. Well, I did learn a lot, and you did mention something. You said that to discover who we are, something about to get to, uh, there's a process of discovery. Yes. Through the expectations and all that. Correct. But I don't think you come to that by yourself. Ooh. When you were growing up, who was your role model? I had quite a few, honestly. Who? Uh, there was a guy, his name was Dick Barron. He was an evangelist. Oh. Yep. At the age of six or seven, our family used to... That was your role model at six? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I know. I'm sorry. A minister. You know who mine was? <laughs> Bono Steen. Shut up. <laughs> oh, know I know, him. I know, Farrah Fawcett. No. If I had been a fiend... Oh, Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Really? Yes. Wow, what a difference. Dick Barron, and a, a minister, <laughs> and Wonder Woman. We definitely had different ways of growing up. You had no superhero role models? In my, as a six-year-old, that Dick Barron was a superhero. Wow. I remember one time we were Did at, you have a childhood? Yeah. I did. <laughs> there, was, there was one time we went to this, uh, they called them back then, they called them crusades. And okay. we, one time my parents were there helping, uh -huh. and they lost track of me. Really? Yeah. I'm surprised. And then they looked up on the stage, <laughs> and there I was sitting on Dick Barron's knee. This sounds familiar. Apparently, this sounds like apparent... a Jesus in the temple moment. Oh, my gosh. Never even thought of that. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, come so on, where were we going on. with Where were we going with this? Well, I'm really going to throw you off now. Okay, go ahead. Under Roo's underwear. Right? Underwear? Underoos. Not just underwear. Underoos. Do you know what underoos are? No, you wouldn't because your role model was a priest or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what, why we're talking about underwear. Because when I was, uh, I want to say it was late 70s. Underoos, so you were in your 30s? No, I was, oh, okay. I was seven. Underoos underwear okay. had, it was like a trend and all the superheroes, you could wear underwear modeled after your role model superhero. And I had Wonder Woman, underoos, underwear. Yeah, it was like a whole thing. Wow. And why are we you sharing this information because with us? Because she was a role model. Okay. And she helped me to discover myself. Ah. And I think that Mary would have never been a role model for me. Yeah. And, and that's a great point. Now I see where you're going with this. That's mm -hmm. a great... Would she was any... subservient. Yeah. She Passive. was docile. None of which I would have gone for. Well, and would you want your child growing up, mm -hmm. your daughter, let's say, mm -hmm. would you want her growing up to be like Wonder Woman or yes. like Mary, the mother of Jesus? Wonder Woman, I'm afraid to say. That sounds heretical almost. But yet, in many ways, 
Mary becomes the ideal for many parents to raise their children. She does. Because on the one side, a bride along standing next to Wonder Woman is Eve. And D Eve is hmm, the what? one who brings sin into the world, according to many people, who right. take the story of Genesis quite literally. If you read it that way, then Eve is the one. And there was actually one of the early church fathers says this. He says that Eve seduced Adam. And the oh. word that he uses in Latin actually has the word uh, to sexually seduce a male. And it's almost like her sexuality mm -hmm. is tied into the fall of, of humankind. Of man. And mankind. on the other side, Mary is asexual. Okay. She's even, you could say, non-gendered. Yeah, right. I mean, what is it that makes her female? Nothing. Well, that she can procreate. And so that's yeah, the Yeah, but purpose. she can't procreate on her own. Right. Through a traditional ways that we know. I read an article by Bishop Spong yesterday comparing Wonder Woman and Mary. Mm -hmm. And it got me to thinking about how much Mary seemed to me like, <laughs> did you see The Handmaid's Tale or read Margaret Atwood's book, The Handmaid's Tale? I didn't, haven't read the book yet, but I have watched the series. And that's a dystopian world where women are subjugated to just be procreators. Though, yes, those that can. Much like Mary. Yeah. You well, have it, to have her in order to have Jesus. Right. So that's her only role, really. Well, and in many ways, the, the, Mary becomes the ideal woman. And the expectation mm -hmm. is that uh, we, the majority of women will meet those expectations. Right. That's where her value comes in. Right. She's valued for her <clears throat> ability to produce and be fertile. Yeah. And in some ways, you could say then that's why perhaps there's such a huge emphasis mm -hmm. in the expectation that young women will remain virgins until they're married. And it has mm -hmm. to be a heterosexual marriage. That too. And so there's this expectation that if you're going to, to end up having sex then you better wait until you're married. Mm -hmm. And again, the emphasis that the church and even in society continuing today place upon a woman's virginity versus a man's virginity right. are completely different. Still. Yes. Right. And again, it, it all kind of in some ways goes back to this perception of being sex-free. Mm-hmm. Um, De Chased. De yeah, desexed <laughs> is is the ideal. In fact, the Catholic Church, for the longest—not the longest—there was a period of time mm -hmm. we don't read about it as much. But the Catholic Church actually taught that the only reason to have sex was mm -hmm. procreation. Right. Therefore, birth control mm -hmm. was not allowed. Right. And continues to not be allowed. Because mm -hmm. every act of sex, sexual intercourse, is to be open to the possibility of and the expectation of having a child. So you don't have sex because of the pleasure. You have sex because of procreation. Right, a purpose. And again, that all ties back this 
image that we have of Mary, the expectation mm -hmm. is that will remain the same and continue forward. Right. So is this just a myth? Is what a myth? The whole story. Mary. Me personally? Like you said, there were some historical facts. Well, and I think what we shared those. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's three. There was, you know, she was Jewish. She did have a, a, a son and that son died. Uh -huh. And um, what was the third one? Uh, well, pull it up. Uh, that she was treated like any other woman. But they expanded on this, and suddenly right. she's ascending to heaven. Right. And what were the other things you said? Well, the postpartum virginity? Yeah. That's not, how is that even a part of the story? It's not. But again, to remain a perpetual virgin, mm -hmm. then how do you explain what happens after birth? They right. believe that somehow she would miraculously remained intact as a virgin, even though she gave birth. So I read something called uh, intentionalism of literature. Okay. Which is a philosophy that somebody named Paisley Livingston said that the meaning of a work of art is determined wholly and solely by the intentions of its author. Okay. So what have we done with the Bible? <clears throat> yeah, that's a great question. And that's why some people, they do what is called reader response criticism. And the Which idea is. being that to in find the inherent meaning of a text mm -hmm. is impossible. So it's open to society's interpretation. Well, if We've you read... We've given it that... that license, that if freedom. Some of the early church fathers read a lot of the Bible as allegory. A lot of the Bible as really? allegory, yeah. Hmm. And then over a period of time, the Western Christianity began to see more and more taking the Bible literally. And when you take the Bible literally right. as inerrant, then it has no errors in it. Therefore, right. what you read is true. And if Matthew and Luke talk about her... Mm -hmm conceiving through the Holy Spirit, right? then you got, then people will take that literally, so even that though it- So them the license then to say, oh yeah, well let's interpret it as postpartum virginity came along and bodily ascension, assumption, mm -hmm. whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and the other one is the immaculate conception, the idea that Mary herself was not born through traditional... Oh, yeah, that also. Yeah, all of that is added in, and it's because of theology. Mm -hmm. And some people would say it's because of men. It was men that were doing the, the theology. And if you read feminist theology, and I have not read a lot of that, yeah. I would be intrigued to find out what feminist theology says about Mary, the mother of Jesus. Oh, me too. Like, this opened a whole world for me this weekend. Well, and I, think <clears throat> I didn't have a whole lot of time, but I wish I had. Well, I think what, wow. it do, what it does is, it, for me, was that we have the, this, Christianity has these ideals of what we believe. And if, as soon as those ideals are called into question, a lot of people do the ostrich. You know, they put their head in the sand. <laughs> they don't want to see. Because if people don't live up to your expectations, then we find it to be frustrating. And so if someone comes along and we have a certain view of Mary, we expect that that's going the virgin birth, for example, mm -hmm. then we expect mm -hmm. that to be true and it shouldn't be questioned. 
Right. That's the expectation. But if someone comes along and does that, that can create a great deal of frustration in a person's life. And I think the same thing happens with, mm. in a very personal way, how each of us react to other people. I mean, I know of ministers who, once they retire, mm -hmm. all of a sudden they begin to talk far more liberal than they did while they were working. <laughs> and they'll talk about the questions and the doubts they had. And the reason you ask them why the shift, it wasn't safe. The ministers felt certain expectations uh -huh. from their congregation that they had to say and preach certain things. And if right. they didn't, what? that frustrates people, uh -huh. that angers people. And you don't want to do that. So you keep it don't to yourself. Buttons. And then all of a sudden, when you retire, you're not answering to other those expectations anymore. So you tend to be yourself. You keep it static. It's and safer to keep it static and... and Familiar. And how many, we do this all the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Janelle I know is probably not the same Janelle mm -hmm. that your daughter knows. Obviously. Yeah. Right. And so we each see each other differently. Yeah. And what happens is, I think, is like, if I have certain expectations uh -huh. of what women ought to act like and look like, right. it, can, it can become very easy and even without us consciously being aware of it, we impose that upon each other. True. And when we impose that upon each other, if we have this sense of wanting to please other people, mm -hmm. and we find uh, we feel better about ourselves when everyone's happy with us, then you're always trying to live up to other people's expectations. True. And that's which is not healthy. And that's really hard to live with. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> so how do we avoid the angst and conflict that comes with all this? Whew, that's a tough one. So I, like when you're having expectations and they're not being met, typically you go for frustration and anger. Right. Well, I think probably, again, I'm not a psychologist, but a little bit of the reading I did this week talks mm -hmm. about this idea that if if you don't have a a healthy sense of self, mm -hmm. then you are going to be swayed by other people's expectations. A healthy sense of self will look at other people's expectations and be able to see that that's all they are. That yeah. those expectations have nothing to do with me as a person. That's their stuff, their experiences, their past, whatever trauma they may have had creates an expectation they place on other people. And when you realize that that's more about them than it is about yourself, then all of a sudden you can become, it can become a little bit easier to not have to live up to those expectations and tr truly be true to yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think to me, that's when I, when I look at the life of Jesus, again, all we have is accounts that were written you know, anywhere from, you know, 60 to 80 years after his death, mm -hmm. you almost get this image of Jesus that they portray is very secure in who he is. Right. And people can accuse him of things. People can 
act, you know, be upset with him because he didn't behave in a certain way. And that's what Mark does in the Gospel of Mark. Oh. Jesus and his brothers come and they're unhappy with him. They're unhappy with his actions. And Jesus wasn't living up to his own mother's expectations, according to the Gospel of Mark. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't influence Jesus. And I imagine somehow Mary was a big part of that, of teaching Jesus early on in life. I mean, it wasn't like all of a sudden when he got a certain age, a, a light went on in his mind and he had all this knowledge. Right. He was taught. And True. probably he was taught in the synagogue, taught by his father. But like many children, he was heavily influenced by his mother. And that's mm -hmm. where I think we can find the real essence of Mary. It's that just sounds wonderful. But we have a comment I okay. want to read to you. Capitalism is to blame for a big portion of expectations of what we're supposed to grow and want to do. Mm. Christianity is to blame for supporting that mentality. The goal is to have a working class to support the upper class, hence the bootstrap mentality. Hmm. So what, I, I, I don't know if I can disagree with that. No, I don't. I mean, I think it's, it, it is, if you want to be a part of the, the system, basically, if you go off the grid and try to live differently, then you're going to be looked at as different. Oh, that's I mean, true. Think about it. I mean, if, if you, even if you have a, let's say you have a, a child and they bring home a partner and mm -hmm. this partner lives off the grid. Yeah. And they say, we're going we're gonna to we're gonna be together the rest of our life. Mm-hmm. And we might even get married. Right. I think there's a lot of parents that may not be comfortable with that. <laughs> not me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I so, think one of the reasons is parents would be uncomfortable with that would be like, well, am I going to be financially supporting my child the rest of their life? Right. What we, it, it goes back to that. The expectation is that you raise your child and your child will become self-sufficient and be able to care for themselves financially. Mm -hmm. And fingers crossed that someday, as a parent, they might return the favor and take care of you right. financially. Right. So it goes back to what that person was saying. These expectations are true. And we do see value as Christianity. That's who we value as Christians is the people who live their life that way. True. And we don't allow a lot of room. For variance. There's so much expectation with Christmas, though, and Mary, and all of that, that if you choose to live off the grid, it's almost impossible. Well, I mean, there are, there are more and more individuals, even though we predominantly a Christian nation, more and more individuals are, are raising their children outside of the church. Correct. But we're still so a, celebrating Christmas. Right. But a lot of these stories, yeah. they may not be exposed to. And if they are, it's very superficial. Mm -hmm. So that is one of the challenges. Is And on one side, you have a group of people that are not raising their children to be exposed to these stories. And on the other side, you have a group of people that want their children to literally believe in those stories. Yes. <laughs> And it leaves everyone kind of... In flux. 
Yum. <laughs> it's the most wonderful time of the year, and it isn't actually, it? It actually is. <laughs> and I think that's where the more we become comfortable with ourselves, I think the more we're willing to look at it, what we believe and why we believe it. Because that, mm -hmm. takes, that takes courage. It takes courage to really think about what is it that I believe and pulling on all the resources and your understanding and looking at the, those things doesn't mean that we still can't tell the stories. Those stories contain truth with a small t, not a big T, in the sense that they are not historically factual events, but they still contain truths in them and they still have a purpose and they have a reason to be told and they have lessons. So even though you may not take these stories literally, we can still learn from Mary that she had an incredible impact on the life of a young man who grew up to have an impact upon his world and continues to have that influence and impact on larger society. So I think this Christmas season, especially this week as we move closer and closer to Christmas Day, I think it's an opportunity for us to stop and find out, to, to look within oneself and ask yourself, are you being true to you? Or are you being heavily swayed by the expectations of other people? And again, I think that's probably one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself is to find your true self and then remain true to that. I hope you will be willing to give yourself that this Christmas. Have a Merry Christmas and enjoy the rest of your week. And whatever you do, be safe out there. For those of you who are logging off, we encourage you to come back and look at, we're gonna have a small meditation that will be, you can listen to. Uh, for those of you who are interested in listening to that now, stay tuned because we will have a small spiritual meditation to enhance your life. Take care. Safety breathing. Safety breathing is a practice of sending our breath to our stomachs and our chests. Often when we are scared or nervous or even excitable, you may notice that our stomachs or chests can feel tight or jittery as if you were to have butterflies there. By sending intentional breath to both locations one at a time, it helps us to calm our feelings. So wherever you are, begin sitting straight up with both of your feet on the floor, arms uncrossed, and if possible, with your back against something so you feel supported. Now inhale slowly and deeply through your nose and send for the first half of your breath to your stomach, expanding your stomach out. 
and then send the second half of your breath to your chest. You should feel your chest rise. Now exhale powerfully through your mouth. Inhale slowly and deeply through your nose and send the first half of that breath to your stomach. Continue that breath, sending the second half to your chest. Now exhale powerfully through your mouth. And when your mind wanders as it will, forgive yourself and return to the physical sensation of the breath. <laughs> 